Well, this is a post-Easter Sunday. You know, the Sunday that we got to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on Friday, you know, we've got to remember what our Lord and Savior did on the cross, what he had to suffer in order to secure our salvation. And so we remembered the cross on Friday and we celebrated the resurrection on Sunday. But what about Saturday? Saturday, we rarely talk about Saturday. Saturday was the darkest time in the disciples' lives. Saturday was the day that their dreams fell apart. Saturday was the day when they came face to face with, did we believe a lie? And they came face to face with the fact that if we did believe in a lie, what they did to Jesus, what they do to us. It was Saturday, and it was a day of you know, hopelessness for the disciples. And the thing is, what do you do when there's nothing you could do? There's nothing they could do. They were just sitting there bewildered, wondering what had happened. Their Messiah was crucified, and there was nothing that they could do. Everything went wrong in their lives. But what do you do when you have a problem that seems to have no solution? Jesus was dead. There was no solution to their problem. Maybe in your job, your marriage, or your life, you know, you get stuck. You know, and I've been stuck in all those areas, whether it's my job, my marriage, or just life. And you're miles from the ideal, or you have no good options. You know, what do you do? What do you do when it's Saturday? And what we're going to do is we're going to start this series called In the Meantime. In the meantime, and it's done by, uh, it was created by Andy Stanley. But the whole series is based upon what do you do when you're in a situation where life is just pouring down on you? When you feel like you're out there in the ocean and every, you get pounded by a wave and you, you get you're shoved under the water and you can't breathe and then you come up and you're gasping for air and boom, another wave just hits you. And it seems relentless and there's no way that you could see to fix this you could see there's no way out so what do you do and in the series this is what we're going to talk about how do we deal when life is difficult when we feel that God is silent and so once again if you're going through that I'm glad you're here today and I pray that God will speak to you and today is just an introduction but we're going to be going through this series. But if you have any friends that are going through difficult times right now, I, you know, I'd encourage you to invite them and see how God is working despite what they think is his silence. And today, we're going to take a look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, what do we know about John the Baptist? Well, who was John the Baptist in relationship with Jesus? Yeah, John was Jesus' cousin because John's mother and Jesus' mothers were what? They were sisters. Now, um, who baptized Jesus? John. John baptized Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, that's when the heavens opened up, the dove came down, and God said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. John knew who 
Jesus was. John knew who Jesus was. And so, but why don't we pick this up in Matthew 11, um, verse 2 through 3. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 3. And I'm reading out of the NIV. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll see it right up on the screen there. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the uh, deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. Now, John was in prison. Now, why was John in prison? Well, King Herod Antipas, what he did was he divorced his wife so he could marry his brother's wife, right? And so John is saying, you can't do this. This is immoral. And John was like a dog with that's going after a bone. He would not let up. He said, you can't do this. You can't do this. This is wrong. This is immoral. So finally, what did, Herod was afraid of John. So what he did is he put him in prison. Okay? And so John was in prison. John was in prison. We don't know how long. It could have been up to maybe a year and a half or, you know, a year, year and a half. But anyway... John was in prison. And we think he was in prison for about maybe a year to a year and a half at this point. And then he goes on. So he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him what? He says to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John knew who Jesus was. John was the one who baptized Jesus. John was the one who heard that voice. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But John was in jail for a long time. And he was discouraged. Because this is not how he thought his life was going to be. He was the one that was going to herald the Messiah. You know, he understood that when Jesus was supposed to get greater and he was supposed to get less, right? That Jesus was going to get more, supposed to get more popular and he was supposed to step out of the limelight. But he didn't think he would be put in prison and he was discouraged. He was discouraged. So he asked his disciples to go, hey, ask Jesus if he's the one or should we be expecting someone else? You know, have you ever doubted? You know, when I was growing up, you know, doubt was this big sin that if you doubted that showed that you had a weak faith do you think John the Baptist had a weak faith no he was discouraged he was discouraged and we all get to that point in our life where we do get discouraged where all of a sudden we're doing the thing that we think that God's supposed to be doing and then it all goes south and he finds himself in a prison but what does Jesus think about John you know, in Matthew 11, um, 11, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone who's greater than John the Baptist. Jesus thought the world of John. You know, he said there was no one born to woman that was greater than John the Baptist. Jesus, he praised on this one person who was in jail. But from John's perspective, he didn't see it that way. But it's an interesting thing here, if you take another account, if we go to Matthew 4, 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Do you get that? 
It said, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. You would think that, hey, this is Jesus' cousin, that he's the Messiah. Okay, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to free him from prison. You know, I'm going to ask God to do what he did with Paul and Silas, that there'd be this great earthquake, and all the prison doors would open, right? You would think that Jesus would do that to try to free John. But what does it say? He withdrew to Galilee. Now, put this into perspective. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. Now, John, see the bottom there, um, bottom red dot? That's Macarus. Okay, now this is where um, John the Baptist was in prison, in Macarus. Now, Jesus, see that middle dot there in Nazareth? That's where he was. Okay, that's where he was. So he, Jesus is right there in Nazareth, but when he hears that John is in prison, what does Jesus do? He goes to Capernaum. 30 miles north, the opposite direction that John went, that where John was. Do you ever feel like that in your life? When you're out there in Macarus and you know that Jesus is north and you hope that Jesus comes and frees you from whatever struggle that you're going through, but instead of coming to you and freeing you, what does he do? He goes 31 miles in the opposite direction, right? Next one. Next slide. Now, this is um, Macarus here, and on top of that hill, they think uh, this is where, you know, King Herod's um, palace was, but you can see Macarus was a hot, arid, desert place. So it'd be like if you were stuck in the middle of, like, say, Palm Springs in the summer, um, but with no air conditioning or anything like that. And the walls are made of, you know, rock, which retains heat. And so it's just miserable. John was miserable. And even in those days, they didn't feed prisoners. What you would have to, a prisoner would have to do is they would have to have friends on the outside bring them food. So here John is in Macarus, a desert. It's hot. It's, it's miserable, and this is where he was. But we know Jesus went to Capernaum, and what's Capernaum like? This is where Jesus went. This is like Club Med. Jesus went to the resort. You know, it's beautiful up there. It's beautiful up there. You know? Have you ever felt that way about God? <laughs> I'm suffering in Macarus. It's hot. It's arid. I'm hungry. I'm suffering. And God, what are you doing? Are you taking a vacation at the Sea of Galilee? You know, it's easy for us to sometimes feel that way, right? When God is silent in our suffering and we wonder, what's God doing? Is he on vacation? Can he see me? Or why is he on vacation when I'm suffering so much? But there's a reason why uh, Jesus uh, withdrew to Capernaum. Um, the uh, next uh, verse, Matthew uh, 4, verse 13. It says, Leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Jesus cared about John. Jesus thought the world of John, but what does it say? He left to go to Capernaum to do what? Not to go on vacation, but to fulfill what was said 
through the prophet Isaiah. And it says, um, the land of uh, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has been dawned. 700 years before this, it it was prophesied that Jesus would go here. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. Jesus was part doing a part, uh, Jesus was part of a larger picture than just John's life. It wasn't that Jesus didn't care. Jesus loved John. Jesus, this was his cousin. And no longer, Jesus was a man, so I know he probably, he felt bad for John but he had to fulfill his father's will and 700 years before this he said he would go to this area and start preaching he wouldn't go to Jerusalem where they had all the smart people the learned people the wealthy people the popular people he went to the Galilee where they were like the outsiders they were the poor these are the ones who needed Jesus the most And that's why he said there. Jesus wasn't afraid of King Herod. Jesus wasn't afraid of being persecuted because of what he went through on Good Friday. You know, Jesus was persecuted more than John would ever be persecuted. Jesus went because he was doing the will of the Father. And we too are part of a larger story. And so one of the things we can't do is don't interpret God's silence as absence. Don't interpret God's silence as absence. Have you ever been in a bad situation where it's, you're crying out to God and you hear nothing? You just want something from God and it's silent. And what's our natural tendency? to believe that God doesn't care. You know, God, why did you let this happen? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why don't you come in and do something about this? You must not care. But we can't confuse God's silence as absence. And so what does Jesus tell John's disciples? He says in Matthew 11, verse 4 to 5, he says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are being cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf are raised, and the good news is being um, proclaimed to the poor. He's telling his disciples, tell them what I'm doing, and that these are the works of the Messiah, and that I am the Messiah. You know? Tell them that I'm doing all of these great things. But sometimes that brings us little comfort too, right? When God says, hey, I'm doing all of these great things. I'm healing the sick. You know, the blind are seeing. And John's sitting there, well, what about me? What about me? You know, it's great that you're doing all of these wonderful things. What about me? Can't you create an earthquake? Have these gates just open, get me out of here? You're the Messiah, But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just said, look, tell them, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. 
Same thing with Job. Remember Job? He went through so much trial and pain. I mean, he lost his career. He lost his family. He lost his health. And he did nothing wrong. He was just a, a pawn in this bet between God and Satan. But he went through all of this trouble. And what happens at the end of the story? Job finally gets an audience with God. And you would think that, all right, now I'm going to get an answer from God as to why you let this happen to me. I want an explanation. But what does God do? God tells him, okay, where were you when I created the universe? Could you keep the stars in heaven? Can you do this? Can you do that? Where were you when this happened? And God was telling him all the things that he did as God. So basically what he was telling Job is, look, I'm God, and you're not. And at the end of that conversation with God, all Job could get down on his knees and acknowledge that God is God. And no plan of his can be thwarted. See, the thing is, God didn't tell Job, why he had to suffer. Jesus didn't tell John why he had to suffer. Other than, look what I'm doing. I'm the Messiah. You know, I'm God. I'm God. But then he ends it with this wonderful verse. Matthew eleven six, It says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is the one who doesn't doubt when they think I'm not at work. Blessed are those who don't walk away from the faith when they think I'm silent and I don't care about them. Blessed are those who don't lose their faith because they think I'm on vacation. And this is the same message that he's given to us today. Some of you today are going through a lot of suffering. Some of you have been through a lot of suffering and you're crying out and looking for answers God doesn't give us those answers what God says is I'm God I hurt when you go through that trouble don't think for one minute I don't care about you when you're sitting in a hot arid prison I do care but I've got a plan, and I've got a plan. And good will come out of your suffering. And so you know, only things we know about why we go through the suffering is those general um, Bible verses we have about growing perseverance, about um, patient, learning how to be patient and all of that. But why you go through your individual suffering, you know, I... I you know, I don't know. But all God is asking us is to trust him. Why? Because look at all he's doing. He's still God. And if he's God, he's worthy 
of our trust and our faith. Even though we are going through times when you say, God, I cannot handle this anymore. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. And we're going to continue on in our series and talk about, once again, what do we do when we're in the in-between times? What do you do when it's Saturday? You know, when there's no way out. When all the doors are just slammed shut and we think God is silent. And we're going to continue that in the next couple of weeks. But you know, there was another person who felt abandoned. And that was Jesus. So you're in good company. You know, John the Baptist, a man of great faith, felt abandoned. And Jesus also felt abandoned. Where? When he was on that cross. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands. Jesus understands when you feel abandoned because he went through it himself on the cross. And so this is a weekly challenge. Um, weekly challenge, there we go. Me- meditate on Matthew 11, 1 to 6 every single day. Okay, just read that. Um, it says, if you are currently in the middle of a difficult situation, what are some practical ways you could remind yourself that God, oh, Lord, forgive me, that's a capital G, um, has not abandoned you? If you're going through a difficult time right now, what are some practical ways that you could remind yourself that God has not abandoned you? Okay, next one. What role can your church community play in shoring up your faith when God is silent? You're a part of a community. You're part of a family here. If you are going through a difficult time here right now as you sit, how could we as your community, maybe it's your life group, maybe it's the ministry that you're involved in, how could we as you, your community shore up your faith when you think God is silent. You know, and today we get to um, celebrate communion. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion, we remember what Christ did for us on the cross. How he suffered for us. But how he was abandoned for us too. When he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That our salvation, it didn't come cheap. It came at a a price. It came at a high price. 
And this is what we come together today to remember and to be thankful for what Jesus did. And what we do is we practice an open communion here, which means that anyone here could partake of communion. You don't have to be a member of uh, Mission Valley in order to take communion. However, you know, when you come before the table, um, we do ask that you'd be a believer because what you, what, when you come here, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if you're still seeking, you know, we're, we're glad that you're here. And if you want to know more about this, God, feel free to come talk with me or Pastor Mako after the service. We'd be more than happy to tell you about how you could start this wonderful life with Jesus Christ. But we ask that you come down the middle aisles and the servers will have a cup and then they have a cracker. And what you do is you just take the cracker and dip it in your cup and you could either take it there, you could uh, walk to your seat and um, take it there. But you come down here and then you would just go out and return back to your seat. And today we're going to have a time of prayer during communion. Well, we'll have individuals on this side of the stage and individuals at this side. And if you're going through a difficult time right now, this is one way we as a community could stand beside you to come up and pray for you. You know, I know it might be scary. You might be embarrassed. But I've even done this. You know, some of the closest relationships I've had were when I had to go up with prayer for prayer as a pastor and somebody prayed for me when I was going through a difficult time. And so we're going to have people up here um, praying for you. So if you want prayer, please take advantage of it. It's confidential. They're not going to um, share what you share with anybody. But this is a way for us as a community to help shore up your faith if you feel that God is silent in your life right now. So would you please join me in prayer? And will the um, communion servers, the worship team, and the prayer team, would you come forward as I pray? And then we'll serve you first, and then we'll serve everybody else. Father, we can't thank you enough for what you did for us on the cross. When you took, went through so much pain and suffering. And God, we knew you weren't absent. Father, you had to watch your son go through that. And when your son cried, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? Lord, we know that that must have been extremely hard on you. Knowing that your son had to go through this on account of us. That the forgiveness of our sins was part of that larger plan. So, Father, if there's anybody here who's going through a difficult time right now, Lord, I pray that this time of communion, a time of remembering what you did for us, would comfort us, knowing that you know exactly what it feels like to be in our position. Thank you. May we all be blessed as we partake in communion this morning. In your son's name we pray. 